So this morning we're going to continue in Hebrews. We'll be in chapter 8, so you can turn there if you would like. We've been talking about and considering Jesus as our great high priest. Who he is and this ministry or this service that Jesus provides to us. Before we were talking about Jesus representing God to us. And today we're going to talk about Jesus representing us to God. Okay? Remember when we talk about this relationship of a high priest, it's both directions, right? From us to God and from God to us, this go-between Jesus communicates in both directions. So as you think back to Hebrews 7, verse 25, what we covered last time, this was Jesus before us, representing God. It says, therefore, He is able to, to save completely those who come to God through Him, because He always lives to intercede for them. As Jesus brings us through this process of salvation that we've been talking about, He intercedes for us. We're in complete need, but He intercedes. Remember intercession, what we talked about, making that simple, is that Jesus meets with us, right? Representing God, He comes and He meets with us. And in this intercession, He wants to talk to us. He wants to have a conversation with us. And in that conversation, He wants to instruct us. And He wants to help us. And He does that throughout this process of salvation. He draws near to us, and we draw near to Him. He's relational, and He will continue to be relational until the finish, until we get to the end, until we finish this great salvation. He wants to walk with us, to intercede with us, to draw near to us. And so that's Jesus coming before us and representing God. And now in Hebrews 8, Jesus is going to go before God and represent us. Okay, so He's going in the opposite direction. Now we're going to see how He relates and how He interacts in this opposite direction. Going to God for us and communicating to God on our behalf. So as we start chapter 8, have that in mind. That's the direction that we're headed. And let me read verse 1 through 3 in English and then read it in Spanish. It says, Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being, Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. So every high priest offers something. Every high priest would approach the king, go towards the king, and present something before the king. 
That's for every high priest and saying that Jesus is no different. It was necessary for Jesus to have something to bring to the king on our behalf as he goes to communicate to God for us. And so as you guys think back to Hebrews 7, what did Jesus bring? What did Jesus bring to offer to the king, to the majesty on high? He brought himself. He sacrificed himself. He offered himself on our behalf to the king on high. That's what Jesus has brought. He's sacrificing himself. And then in chapter 7 it says he sat down. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high after presenting this to God for us, after presenting himself. But it says he sat down, but then it also says he serves. So he continues to serve, he continues to minister from this place, but where is this place? Where is it that Jesus is now? Where is he ministering? Where is he serving? the right hand of the majesty on high. He says, it says he's in this, the full presence of God in this tabernacle, this place where God dwells, not where it's built by human hands, but this is what God built, what, where God is. It's in heaven. This is where Jesus is ministering, where he's serving. He's representing us to God, where God is in heaven, in the holy of holies, in the full presence of God. This is what he does for us as a high priest. And from here the author begins to compare. He begins to compare and contrast this service of Jesus in the full presence of God in heaven compared to these earthly priests that had existed in this heavenly tabernacle, this heavenly temple that went before the presence of God. And he wants us to see the difference between Jesus in heaven and the priests on earth. He wants us to see how different this is. Continue with me, verse 4 through 5. It says, if he, talking of Jesus, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest. For there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Jesus' service is not needed here on earth. It's as if Jesus was on earth, he would not be a priest. He would not go before God in this earthly tabernacle and represent us before God. There, there are already those that were doing that, that were approaching God, that were going before God, and that were interacting with God according to this law, according to the law they had received from Moses. He says Jesus, Jesus is not going to do that. Jesus does not do that. He does not need to do that. They had been doing that for over 1,600 years. And for 1,600 years, these earthly priests, it says it was just a copy and a shadow of what's in heaven. It was just a sketch. It was just an outline. So where the priest would go 
and gather and make these offerings to God on behalf of the people for 1,600 years, it says that was just a shadow, just a copy. So what does that mean? It means it, it looks sort of like what it's like in heaven, but it, the details are not there. If it's cloudy, it was not clear. I want to share with you guys a drawing that my wife did. And you will see, and I have permission to say this, that my children did not get their artistic abilities through my wife. But this is a drawing that she did that represents Jesus, okay? In her quiet time, she's reading Revelations and it describes Jesus. And so she, in her journal, starts to make this drawing, create this drawing, this representation of Jesus. And I want you guys to look at this. Okay. <laughs> now, is that an amazing drawing or what? I mean, isn't this the, the glory that you picture Jesus in? Okay, there's, there's details in this drawing as she's reading and, and processing what she's reading and drawing that. Okay, but this is just a shadow, just a copy, just a, a not great representation of what Jesus will be like. Okay, let me show you a little better illustration. All right, here's the same idea, the same picture that needed to have in her mind done by a different artist. Now, do you think this one's better? You guys are very smart not to agree or raise your hand. But I would tell you, this is a more detailed drawing, okay? We can all agree it's more detailed. But this is still a copy. This is still just a shadow. This is still this, this does not demonstrate what Jesus is like. It is so different. It's so far apart from what Jesus is like. We cannot comprehend the difference. It's just a copy. It's just a shadow. And all that the priests were doing for 1,600 years as they entered the tabernacle, as they go before the presence of God, all of the law, it was just a copy and a shadow, just a representation, just like an outline drawing of the reality of heaven, the reality of God. That's what the scriptures say, a shadow, a copy. It was not the real thing. It was not the reality of heaven. And Jesus does not serve in this limited, earthly place that's a shadow or a copy of heaven. Jesus, as our great high priest, he serves in heaven. Not on earth, in heaven. In the very fullness of the presence of God. In the fullness, not the shadow, but the actual light of God. Okay, His presence, His glory, right there with Him. The fullness of it. It's not limited. In verse 6 it says, But in fact the ministry Jesus has received is superior to theirs. It's superior to the earthly priests. It's superior to the earthly priests. 
And so when we began to understand who Jesus is, when we began to understand how Jesus serves, there is no comparison. There's no comparison to Jesus. There's no comparison to Him as our great High Priest. There was this earthly representation that was a copy and a shadow, but it is not, there's no comparison. We can't grasp that in our minds how superior He is. As we talked about in chapter 7, we, we looked at this other copy, right? Melchizedek. Melchizedek was like Jesus, but Jesus is so superior to Melchizedek. He was just a copy. Jesus is the real thing. And here, the same way, we're looking at Jesus as He serves in the reality of heaven, in this heavenly sanctuary. There's no comparison with Him. And so all of that's just to come to the main point. Right? This picture of Jesus, the picture of Jesus, superior in heaven, superiorly serving us. Not here on earth, but in heaven. And he's going before the king on our behalf. As verse 6 continues, this is the main point. Pay attention. He's superior to theirs. His work is superior. His ministry is superior as the covenant which he is a mediator of is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. Jesus is superior. Jesus serves us superiorly. And he is serving under a superior covenant. And now we're going to talk about this covenant. That's what the author spends the rest of chapter 8 discussing. Jesus is superior. He superiorly serves because he's under this superior covenant. You're like, well, you guys are not familiar. I'm not familiar, right? With the Old Testament, with the, with the tabernacle, with the priest, with all the things that they did and did not do. But I want us to understand this idea of covenant. We have to understand that. And so, a definition is that it's a, it's a binding agreement which provides a basis for interaction between two parties. That's a covenant. We're defining, we're fixing this way of how we're going to connect to God and how we're going to relate to God. This is the covenant. This is the way that we're going to relate and we're going to connect to God. Between God and us. And there was an old way of relating to God, of connecting to God. Right? It's connected to these earthly priests. And then there's a new way of relating and connecting to God that's superior. And it involves Jesus in heaven, in the heavenly tabernacle, in the presence of God. And it's superior. It's better. So he was superior. His service was superior. Because of his superiority, we have a superior way to relate and connect to God. 
I want you guys to hear that. I've said it many times. Listen to that. Agree with that. Understand that. We have a superior way to relate to God. And you might think, well, why do we need a new way? Why do we need a new covenant, a new way to relate and to connect to God? They had this one way for 1,600 years that they related and connected to God. Why did we need a new way? And the reason that we ask that is because all you know is this new way. You never experienced this old way of relating and connecting to God. It's like, as a parent, that day comes when you say to your kids, Oh, well, back when I was a kid, you don't understand what you have because when I was a kid, and you hear those words because you heard those words from your parents and you tell those words to your kids because they didn't experience what you experienced. They don't understand how good they have it. We don't understand how good we have it because this is all that we know, this new way of relating to God. But we have a new way because there was an issue with the old way. The, the scripture says there was a fault. In verse 7 to the beginning of verse 8. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people. There was an issue with this old way to relate to God and to connect to God. And it says here that the issue, the fault, was with the people. The issue was not with God in this covenant. The issue was with us. The old way depended in part on us. It was conditional. And we as humans, as the people, we could not live up to the conditions of this relationship with God. We were unable, the people were unable to meet the terms of this agreement of how to interact and how to relate to God. They continued to fail in that and fail in that and fail in that. The fault was with the people, not with the king. Again, we see we're in need. They were in need. We're in need. Remember last time, you all agreed you're needy. We're still needy today. We'll continue to be needy. They were needy, we're needy, and we're in need. And God knew this. And the author wants them to understand this. And then the author now is going to give them and remind them of Scripture as he's speaking to them and saying, Do you remember what Jeremiah said 600 years ago? 600 years ago, in the middle of this old way, God says these things to us. God knew we were going to be in need. He knew He was going to have to provide a new way for us to relate to Him and to connect with Him. So this is 600 years before, in the middle of the Old Covenant. And God said, The days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant, right, a new way of relating, a new way of connecting with me, I'll make this new covenant 
with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. The people weren't faithful. They didn't live up to the agreement. God turned away from them. God's plan was never to continue to relate and connect with the people in this same old way forever. God knew, right? This is Jeremiah speaking 600 years before the new covenant, this new way of connecting and relating to God, saying there's going to be a new way. God knows we're in need. God knows we can't live up to our side of the relationship. And He's going to create a new way to relate to Him. Because this old way is a copy. It's a shadow. It's limited. You can't know me fully. You can't fully be in my presence. There has to be a new way. And God says, I'm going to take care of it. There was a fault with the people. And so he says, so listen now to what I'm going to do. Okay? As we listen to this, as we listen to this description of the new covenant, God says, I will, I will, I will, I will. God says, you are not living up to your end of the bargain, but I desire and want relationship with you, so I will, I will, I will. This is what I'm going to do, God says. Verse 10. God speaking. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. He says, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. Verse 12, For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. God's making a promise to them. He made this promise to us. He's saying, these are all the things that I will do. I'm making these promises to you. There's going to be this better way that we connect and relate. And so I want us to walk through that and see these three different ways that he says he's going to relate with us and connect with us. These three promises that he makes to us. What God says he will do. Not what we'll do, not how we'll respond, but what God will do. The first is an internal connection. He says, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. God says, I'm not going to communicate to you through these external stones. I'm not going to write my word on these tablets. I'm actually going to build internal inside of you in the depths of your mind and internally in your hearts, on your flesh, in the innermost part of who you are. I'm going to write my word there. Not externally, not on these stones kept in a specific place, but in you, inside you, on your heart. I'm going to communicate with you there. In your innermost being. I'm going to write my words on your heart. We're going to have this 
internal connection. And I forgot this. But there's something about writing things down. When you write it down, like it becomes real. It becomes permanent. When we first moved to LA, we were down on Overo Street. And I saw this sign. I said, I'm getting that. I'm hanging that. That's going in my house. That is going to be very, very helpful to me. It says, happiness is being married to a Mexican. Now, in my house, and in my situation, this is very helpful. Alright? Baby, look what I bought. When it is upset at me, uh, sweetheart, remember what I said? It's, it's, it's painted on tile. It's in our home. Like, this is what I believe. This is permanent. Okay? These are my words to you. Happiness is being married to a Mexican. All right? This is true. This is church. You're sharing the truth. Now, this is one step. I wrote it there. Elvis is not here. He's in the nursery. I asked him if I could share this. Elvis has his wife's name tattooed on his arm right here. I said, whoa. Like, I've got it on, on, a, on a tile, piece of tile over here. Elvis got his wife's name tattooed on his arm, on his flesh, for everyone to see. We were joking in the park yesterday. Yeah, well, when they get in an argument, he's like, hey, babe, babe. Look at how much I love you, right? Your name is written on ink on my flesh. It's there forever. Like, that's another step. But then God says, I'm not going to write my words on a tile. I'm not going to write them on the, ex on the outside of your body. I'm going to put them inside, in the depths of you, of who you are. I'm going to write my words to you there. My love story, my, my love note is there. It's right there with you. It never leaves you. It will not perish with you. It is eternal. It will last forever. It's so personal in the depths of who you are. That's how God has communicated to us. This internal connection. That's what He desires for us. Do you guys experience that? It's, it's got to feel good when Nita reads that, right? It's got to feel good when Ashley sees her name on Elvis's arms. Does it feel good for us when we realize God has written His Word to us on our hearts, put it in our minds? How, how, how He cares about me, how He loves me, he, He's made this statement to me and for me. That should amaze us. And you might think, well, I agree with that. I know God's done that. But just because He's written that there in my heart, that doesn't mean that I can really relate to Him personally. But in addition to this internal connection, God promises an intimate relationship. 
He says, I will be their God. And they will be my people. God will have a true relationship with us. It's an intimate relationship. It's not knowing about him, but it is knowing him, knowing him deeply, because we have access to him. Right? When you have full access to someone, you can know them intimately. You have full knowledge of them. And see, in this old way, for these 1,600 years, there was only one person who could go into the presence of God, the, the high priest, and that was only one time a year. And if it occurred outside of that, they would fall over dead. Okay? Limited, extremely limited access to God. God was present with them, but they could not access Him and know Him. He was behind the curtain, behind, in the sanctuary where no one could be present with Him. And God is saying, here, I want to give you an intimate relationship. I want to give you access. And as we've been reading, He invites us to draw near. He says, draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. You can know me intimately as I know you intimately. This is what He's offering to us, what He's promised to us. Because intimacy comes from truly knowing each other. When you know all of each other. You're intimate with someone when they've been completely transparent, when they're completely vulnerable, then you know them. Okay, you, you are intimate with them. And you have this intimacy. I remember dating Nidia. I remember proposing to Nidia. I can confidently say that I loved Nidia. But not until we got married did I know Nidia. Okay? Did, did we have this sense of intimacy where we could be vulnerable with each other and transparent with each other and, and know everything about each other. There are so many things that I did not know about her until we became married. And there were so many things that I did not know about myself, even more things that I didn't know about myself until I got married to her. And I started to see the reality of who I am. We became intimate with each other. There were good things. But at least on my part, there were a lot of bad things. Until I got married, I thought I was a good guy. I got married and we had this intimacy and I realized I'm a jerk. I am so selfish. She saw the real me. The complete me. Because we were intimate. We had relationship. We had access to each other. But that's our heart's desire. Is to be known. That someone would know us. That we could know someone else fully and completely. I want to share a quote. It says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. 
But to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. Right? Someone can say they know you, but they don't really know you. Like, that's just on the surface, just on the outside, right? It hasn't gone deep. But then someone can really know you, and they see all of your issues, all of your selfishness, and they could turn from you. And that's our fear. But when someone knows you fully and completely, the good, the bad, everything in between, and they still choose to love you, they're still with you, they still continue with you in relationship, that's what we desire. To be fully known as we are and to fully know someone else. That's what God is offering for us. That's what He's promising in this intimate relationship. And in that kind of relationship, you don't have to pretend you're someone you're not. He already knows. In that type of relationship, you keep, you come with all your issues. And the relationship continues. Because the relationship is not about you. God says, this is what I will do. It's not about you. It's not about who you are. It's not about what you've done. It's about who I am and what I've done. And I'm choosing. I will do this. I will have an intimate relationship with you. I will fully know you and you will fully know me. And we're going to continue together. God didn't choose to love you because you were lovely. He chose to love you to make you lovely. He says, I will do this. I'm not waiting on you. I'm not depending on you. I choose you and we are going to fully know each other. We're going to relate this way. We're going to have an intimate relationship with one another. We're going to have this internal connection. And as I explain that, you might think, well, that sounds too good to be true. Relating to God that way, there's this internal connection that I can't explain, that's, that's deep inside of me, uh, where He's put His Word in my heart, in my mind, and, and I have this intimate relationship where I'm, I'm fully known before God, and I fully know Him, and I'm here with everything that I am, and God still loves me, and still cares for me, and still wants to continue in this relationship? That, that's too much. That sounds great, but, but you don't know about me. I don't know that that's for me. No. And so we see the last part. There's also an opportunity for everyone. This connection, this relationship, it's for everyone. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. From the least to the greatest and everyone in between, you will all know me. Okay, I am offering this, I am promising this to all of you. Okay, you're not excluded, you're included. Okay, this is an inclusive opportunity for everyone. 
I'll put my word in your heart. We'll know each other fully and completely, intimately. That's for each and every one of us. There's no exclusion, there's no limitation. That opportunity is available for everyone. But you're like, but how? How can that be available for everyone? Because he's dealt with all of our sin completely. We'll see in verse 12, he has dealt with our sin. Sin was this barrier to our relationship with God. It was a barrier to drawing near to God, to connecting with him. And the old covenant, right, for 1600 years, they covered sin and covered sin and covered sin, right? Repeatedly, repeatedly going and taking care of the sin. They just covered it, but they never were able to remove it. It always existed. It was always there. It's like it's in the room. It's been covered over, but it's still there. There's this, there's this issue in our relationship, and I know you want to have a relationship with me, but there's still something that I feel like we have to talk about, we have to deal with, if we're going to have this personal connection, this intimacy and relationship. Right? It's like the thing, like there's an elephant in the room, there's this, this sin that has to be dealt with. In the old covenant, it wasn't removed. The work of the earthly priests, according to the law, they couldn't remove it. But in the new covenant, we now have the ultimate high priest. He's made the ultimate sacrifice. And he has ultimately removed our sin. My sin, your sin, our sin. What Jesus has done as the high priest, not on earth, right, not under the law, but in heaven, in this new covenant, he has completely and fully dealt with our sin. He has removed it. Okay? It's not just covered and put to the side. It's gone. As far as the east is from the west, God has removed it from us. Jesus has done that. There's no barrier to our relationship. There's no barrier to our connection. Not because of what we've done, but because of what He did. Verse 12, For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sin no more. God's promising this to us. God has followed through on His promise. And we'll go in depth about that in chapter 9 and chapter 10 as we start to understand the sacrifice that Jesus made so that we could all relate, so that we could all connect to God in this way. But I want to be very clear. Whether you have not even begun the salvation, or whether you're in the middle of this process of salvation that we talked about, right? You've begun, but it's difficult, and it's hard, and you're walking through life, trusting God, walking through this salvation. Whether you have not begun, or whether you are in the middle of it, you do not have to take care of yourself. You do not have to get yourself ready to draw near to God. God has already dealt with that. He's already taken care of it. You come with everything that you are, every, all the baggage that you have, all of your past, everything that defines you, and you come before God, and He says, I've already taken care of it. 
Let's have this connection. Let's have this relationship. You can be in the middle of that relationship and feel like, I can't keep going. I mean, God, I, I can't believe what I've done now. I can't believe who I've become. How do I continue to go in this relationship with Him? I've got to take care. I've got to get my house in order first. Then I'll come to God. Right? I hear that over and over again. Let me get a few things straight and then I'll come to God. God says, I've already straightened them out. Whether you're beginning or whether you're continuing with Him, I've already straightened them out. Draw near to me. Because I did that. I will do that. And now God has done that. He's removed that barrier for each of us. For everyone. Wherever we're at. In this great salvation. Don't exclude yourself from that. Don't think this doesn't apply to you. In verse 13, by calling this covenant new, he's made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. The old covenant has expired. Right? It's like that food on the shelf. It's, it's past the date. Why are you going to buy that? Why are you going to use that? That's only going to make you sick. That is not good for you. Right? If it's, if it's expired, you're not going to use it. You're not going to eat it. The old covenant, this old way of working our way towards God, of trying to live up to our end of the bargain, that's expired. Don't go back to it. We have this new way of relating to God, of connecting with Him, with our superior high priest, in a superior way. And so you guys might have been asking why the suit. I got lots of comments. I, I, I walked out of my door at the apartment, I started getting comments. I walked in here, more comments. Why the suit? Is something going on? I want you guys to realize what Jesus has done. Jesus has come to us. And it's not just a proposal. It's not just this invitation. He comes to us and He makes vows. Okay? The only time I wear this suit is when I marry someone or if you bury someone. Okay? But today this is going to reflect like we're marrying someone because Jesus, he's, he's made this invitation to you and now He's going to come before you and He's making a promise to you. Okay? And when the, the, the groom and the bride stand there before each other, they are making a promise to one another. It's not I do, it's I will. I will do this. I will relate to you this way. I will connect with you this way. I will do this. This is my promise to you. So what I want is for everyone to stand. Everyone. It's for everyone. Because I had something important to do, I got dressed up. Okay. This is what Jesus has done. He's come before each of you. 
And he's not just offering himself. He is promising. He's coming before you and he's getting down before you right in front of you and he says, I will put my word in your heart. I will. I, I, we will have this personal connection. It's uncomfortable, right? You're standing, I'm kneeling. Like This is kind of uncomfortable. This is what Jesus is doing. And, he, and now he's like begging you. He's like, listen, I will. I will be your, your God. I'll be your God. And you'll be my people. I, I promise that. That's what I will do. We'll have this intimate relationship. I, I'm right before you. I'm, I'm asking you, don't, 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 don't turn away from me. Uh, don't feel uncomfortable. I'm just promising to you what I will do. We'll have this personal connection. We'll have this intimate relationship. Because I will deal with your sin. I've dealt with it. I've removed it. I, I, will, I will remember your sin no more. There'll be no barrier to start this relationship. There's no barrier to continue this relationship. This is what I'll do. This is what Jesus has done for each of us. And it's uncomfortable. And you guys still want me to stop. You want to sit down. You want me to go away. But this is what Jesus has done and He continues to do it. This is His position before you. I will do this. I will have this relationship with you. You will know me and I will know you. What's our response? What do we say to Jesus? That our great holy priest would get down on his knees like this and remain on his knees like this before us saying, I will, I will, I will. My promises are better. This is a better way to relate to me. Let the old way go. Forget about trying to work yourself to me. Work yourself staying with you know, be, being with me. Just, just be with me. I've taken care of it. So take my hand and I'll bring you to glory. That's what I'll do. 